title today's lesson is An Open Door. Uh, you can go ahead and bring this up, uh, Maraf, on the screen. An Open Door, Faith and the Future of the Lake Merced Church of Christ. Uh, on July 4th, I came down to the building early. Happened to see Maraf. He came down here to do some custodial work. Uh, we got to talk a little bit and uh, kind of did a self-guided tour. Uh, I'd done this before one time at the building, just kind of looking all around. Uh, this is, you, you can walk through here. I didn't even go through the classroom area because I was pretty familiar with that area, but I went through the administration area and all those classrooms. I'd done that before, but I also spent time going through our main auditorium up to that balcony area where you can look down and just, it's a never ending of every door I could find that wasn't locked, even though I had my keys, I, I would open it. And it's just amazing all the different areas where you could go. And but it's also a walk through time. Uh, churches are notorious, or at least known for not throwing away things. Uh, we've done that a few times here. But you can find things from back in the 60s. I did. They had just been kind of tucked up on a shelf or put here or there. And it was kind of a walk through time, just seeing there is a history of people that have been here for a long time. That has experienced a lot of change, a lot of people coming and going. You saw names and faces. I found a picture for, I think, the opening day. I think it's in the library. Uh, there's two big pictures, and all these men were up on the stage. And it was a big day. I think uh, Eileen was a little girl <laughs> on that day. But just a rich history here of people. You had a rich history of people coming and going. Um, and we've experienced a lot of coming and going just recently. Uh, Josh and his family were here, blessed us for a while, but then... They went on to other things. Michael just moved a couple weeks ago, even though we're going to try to keep pulling him back as, as much as we can. Uh, his life moved on, and sometimes things change that we're not always in control of. Uh, Fortune and Elizabeth, who have blessed us, uh, I believe they'll be with us one more Sunday, but they are uh, moving down to Southern California. And you might notice that a lot of people that have come here have been here for a, a relatively short amount of time. Sometimes few weeks, sometimes a few months, sometimes a number of years, but yet there's also this very steady group of people that have almost always been here. At least they've always been here since I've been here. Barbara, and Loretta, Janet, and Eileen, and Kristen for them at Austin, and uh, people have been here, Thomas, as long as I've been here, but have all been here at different lengths of time. I think Eileen goes back to the young, youngest being a little girl here. But so a rich history that's still being lived out here. Um, another thing I did that Saturday is when I left, I decided I'm going to go drive up in this housing area. Um, I'd done that one time when it first started to be under construction, but I hadn't done it since they completed it. So I went to the stoplight and went up there on the hill and kind of drove up there and could look down upon the building here. And it was interesting to, to see the building from that Perspective. Kind of this picture here kind of captures a little bit. Sometimes higher up. And I thought, well, what a great location we are in. Here to be looked down upon by all these people every day that live up in this area. And then to be on Brotherhood Way where there's a constant, steady flow of traffic. There's schools all around us. Uh, this is a very well-traveled area. We're in a prime position uh, to be seen and noticed. Uh, we have a parking lot that's huge where most churches struggle uh, to find parking even for a small group. 
and then have all the space we need. It might need updating here or there, uh, but this is all the space we could ever use. And those that designed this building years ago, and Eileen can tell you all about that, were very wise in making best use of the, of the space available. And that leads us into the lesson this morning. Uh, our challenge always at the church here at Lake Merced, as with any church, is to make the most of the opportunity they have. And I want to speak this morning to simply this idea that we have an open door before us as a church and go to the book of Revelation. In fact, you can go ahead and turn there or scroll there. Revelation chapter 3. We're going to see a message that was given to one of seven churches. And the name of that church was the, the church in Philadelphia. So go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter 3 because the message that was given to this church will also be given to us here at Lake Merced as we take on not only our challenges that we have as a small church, but to also take on our opportunities. Because it was kind of, it was sad kind of walking through the building as I walked through it, to find pictures and visitors' cards and Bible teaching material that was simply no longer being used, or find things that reflected a much larger group of people. So it was kind of sad doing that, but then as I drove up, at the top there and looked down. I thought, what a great opportunity, though, for all these people that moved in there. And, and I saw things differently this, by just changing my perspective on how I saw it. So that began the process of working on this lesson for today. And I want to read what was said to this church in the ancient city of Philadelphia. It's the same name as Philadelphia in the state of Pennsylvania. Um, it's from the Greek word that indicates brotherly love. Uh, this ancient church of Philadelphia, again, was one of seven that was addressed in the Revelation. Uh, the book of Revelation was written to churches that were about to experience severe persecution by the Roman Empire. And these seven churches were located in the heart of the Roman Empire, which would be modern-day Turkey today. All these churches were in modern-day Turkey today. Some of the churches were singled out for severe rebuke, some a combination of rebuke and encouragement or praise. But the Church of Philadelphia was simply praised and challenged to take what they had and to use it to God's glory, though what they had was relatively small. And I think what was said to the Church of Philadelphia could be said to us today. So let's begin reading uh, verse 7. Uh, we'll read through verse 13, and then we're going to isolate different things that are said by Jesus to the messenger or the angel of this church and see how they apply to us. Uh, verse 7, Revelation chapter 3. says, To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. Verse 8, now, I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open what? Open door that no one can shut. I know that you have a little strength. Yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. 
I will make those who are the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Verse 10, since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Those who are victorious, I will make pillars in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God. The new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's stop here. This is what is said to the church in Philadelphia. There's a lot that we could explore. There's a lot that is somewhat mysterious as to what exactly is said to this church. But let's just isolate some things that we know. Uh, First of all, it says to the angel of the church. The word angel literally means messenger. In fact, you might have a little uh, footnote that says messenger. Uh, this book of Revelation was given to the Apostle John, and then it was transferred to these different churches, and seven churches got seven different messages. So this is unique to Philadelphia. So someone transports this message to the church. The words are of Jesus himself. He is the head of the church. He is the one that gave the revelation to the Apostle John. Here's what you need to correct or repent of. Here's what, doing, or here's what you need to take on that perhaps you haven't done before. They're basically challenged on how to go forward, which is what our challenge is too. We have a rich history here of involvement, commitment, but yet it's interspersed with sadness. Uh, we were talking, I think it was Eileen or Jan, I can't remember, we were talking last week about missing Marie and, and how that Marie's presence is still in this congregation. I think even in our trustee meetings, I think, well, what, what would have Marie said? <laughs> and what did she say? Because she said some things about how to look at life and how to look at the church here that I still remember well. And I thought if we could just find a big picture of Marie and we could just put it in the back. Not that she's the only influential person that's ever been here, but she was so highly influential and so committed to this church. And, and, and Jesus is the savior of the church and the head of the church is committed to the church here as he was to the church in Philadelphia and all seven of these. So how do we go forward? Well, we listen to his voice just as we might remember things Marie said and wisdom to us. We hear the voice of Jesus to direct us to today. There are three things that I think, at least three, that stood out to me. I just allowed myself to read this text, and this, as things hit me, uh, I thought these are things that we're going to talk about. Sometimes if you overthink or overprepare, it kind of ruins everything. So I just let things hit me and, and wrote them down, and here's what I came up with. Things that we can apply today. Here's the first one. God does great things with small numbers. God does great things with small numbers. Turn back a couple books. You can keep your place here in Revelation to uh, 2 Peter. I'm sorry, 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, verse 20 and 21. Here, uh, if you were on the call with Randy Harris today, the Zoom call yesterday, I'm sorry, you, you heard him cite this text um, as it relates to baptism. And baptism is compared to Noah. Uh, 
his family being saved by the ark uh, and the floodwaters that lifted him up from the earth and his family. But notice here the emphasis upon how few people were saved from the flood. And notice the emphasis upon a very small number. It says in uh, verse 20, To those who were disobedient long ago when God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being built, in it only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. Notice here Peter's emphasis is upon how few people were saved. He says there's just a few, and then he says eight in all. It was Noah and his family that were saved in the ark, and the water lifts them up. They were saved through water. Here God used just eight people to start all over again the world that he created. And throughout biblical, just 12. And if you added Paul, uh, you just have 12. Through 12 people, after Jesus leaves, he does the greatest work that's ever been done on the earth, that is, spreads this message of how people can be saved through his son, Jesus. He does it through 12 people. Not time, and even even just two people, a Savior was brought into the world, Mary and Joseph. So you see God constantly working with just small numbers. You never see God saying, hey, I have to have a minimum of 50,000 to do something big. Or I have to have 100,000 before we can get this program started. You never see things like that in God's work. He takes what is there, what is present, which means who is there and who is present, and does great things. I just want to think about our small number here at Lake Merced for just a moment. Again, as I walk through the building and kind of seeing there's a lot of history here that's, that's gone by. People that have passed on or moved and a church, I read somewhere in a bulletin I found, uh, the church when it started here at Lake Merced was 600 people, I think, that met in that main auditorium. But then at times, we'll have a very small group. We have a pretty good size for our group here today, but it's, it's a lot smaller than 600. And we can either choose to be real sad about that, just like when I was walking through the dark recesses of the building and finding old things that reminded me of how the church used to be. And I can be real sad about that, and we can be sad about decline and numbers missing, or we can take the car up the hill and look down upon us and see how well positioned we are, at least as a physical piece of property and how many people just simply look down on the building. There's some churches that their building is way out in the country and no one can even find them. But here, we're the most visible building I think I've ever seen and so many people coming and going. And on that lifted my spirits and it can lift our spirits today if we see the opportunity that we have before us as a small church. First of all, we've seen already that God does great things for small numbers. Look again at Revelation 3. Look what's said to this church in Philadelphia. Look at verse 8. Here's what Jesus says to the church. He says, I know your deeds, first of all. I know your deeds. That means Jesus knows everything about that church, and he knows everything about the church here. He says, I know what you're doing. But then he says, see, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. And then he says, I know that you have little strength. 
yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Let's just focus upon what he says here. He says, I know that you have little strength. I don't know exactly what Jesus is referring to here. Whether he's referring to it's a relatively small church, which I think is my best guess. Because most New Testament churches were relatively small. Maybe he's talking about a group of people within the church or he knows what efforts they're making. Whatever it is, whatever they have, it's small. He says, I know you have little strength, but he doesn't say they bemoan that or he's embarrassed about that or they need to close the doors and quit because they're small. He says, I know you have little strength, yet you've kept my word and not denied my name. And he'll later say, behold, I give you an open door. Even though churches are small, and sometimes you see more seats available than you see people in the seats. Uh, we're not the only church that experiences that. We can look at it one or two ways. Either how discouraging or what great opportunity we have. Think for a moment here at Lake Merced. We're in the city of San Francisco. One of the most famous cities in the world. Almost everybody knows the city of San Francisco, the, the Golden Gate Bridge, all of our icons. People know this city. We're not some little town out in Iowa that no one's ever heard of and, and no one ever travels here. People come here. People come here to vacation. Uh, people come here on job contracts. Uh, people come here to live for two or three years. Some people come here to live permanently, not as many as used to, and there's a lot of prohibitive factors financially and trying to raise a family in the city and, and things like that that make it challenging. But we have a lot of people coming and going through this building. In my 10 years here, that's one thing I've really noticed. There's always people coming and going. Yes, it'd be ideal if people stayed and they established roots, but it's hard to establish roots in this area. But we can't enjoy people being here for a temporary period of time. And that gives us a great opportunity as a church here. And we're going to talk about this in a minute, how we can be a blessing to people in our third point. But I want to consider for just a moment that just because we're small does not mean that God's written us off, does not mean that our best days are behind us and we're just hanging on and that closing the doors are inevitable or, or something like that. God doesn't see it that way. Again, he says here to Philadelphia, you have little strength, but yet you've kept my word. You haven't denied my name, and I've set before you an open door. Here God's looking to build with the little strength the church of Philadelphia has. And I believe if we could transfer that today to us, God is looking to work through us even as a really small church. San Francisco is a modern-day Corinth. This is not a religious area. This is a, not an area where conservative religious thought predominates. It's just the opposite. And how much more does that create a need for people that believe in God, that believe in His Word, should dictate our life and shape us, and that we have this hope of salvation through Jesus? How much more is that need than in this city, right here in San Francisco, and in a place that's so visible? that people will access at one time, even if they're just traveling out to the beach. This is a thoroughfare to get from one place, one side of the city to the other that 
the shortcut on Google Maps. People will always see us. And if you talk to visitors that uh, visit us, or sometimes they've lived here and they say, well, I drive by here all the time. And I see you, I see your sign. So God does great things with small numbers. So let's expect him to do things for us. Here's our second thought. We are called to be a faithful church, not a big church. We are called to be a faithful church, not a big church. Even though initially in the book of Acts, it talks about 3,000 were baptized, and then later the group grew to uh, 5,000. Luke is simply recording the rapid growth of the early Christian faith. But after that, we don't read about these big numbers where there's a surge. And for sure, we don't read about any command where God says, you've got to be a big church. Does God want us to grow? Does he want every one of these seats to be filled? Absolutely. So my point's not that, hey, we ought to relish being small and we ought to stay small. That's not the point. The point is there's no command that we have to be large to be effective or we have to be large to be faithful. Look again at what is said here. He says in verse 8, I know that you have little strength, but yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. Skip down to verse uh, 13 now. He says, since you have kept my command, not 13, but to 10, 10, since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial. Then he says in verse 11, I am coming soon. Hold to what you have so that no one can take your crown. In each of these statements, he's urging them to be what? Simply to be faithful. To hold strong to what they already have. He says, first of all, in verse 8, you have kept my word. That's a big deal. Many churches digress. They decide, well, we don't want this old identity anymore. We want to be a church that everybody wants to be at and where no one has any problems with the teaching. Everyone, no matter what their choices of life, they're going to be accepted. Where they simply will walk away from what the Word of God says simply to be attractive to people. Here in the first century, that would have been a problem. It probably would have eliminated them being persecuted if they just watered down what they were teaching, especially about Jesus being the Son of God. But instead, Jesus says to them, you have kept my word, you have not denied my name. In other words, he's telling them, you haven't tried to be something other than what you are. That is a church that belongs to me. Jesus bought us with his own blood, he purchased us. We belong to him, that is our identity, and we never can change that and still expect to be a church of Christ. So he commends them for hanging on to what they have to hang on to. That is him. They have kept his word. They haven't denied his name. Then he tells them that again, verse 10, you've kept my command to endure patiently, simply to hang in there. There's a lot of value to hanging in there. Kristen, isn't that true as a mother? Sometimes you just got to hang in there. Uh, sometimes mothers and fathers, they... They see other mothers and fathers, and they love to have these qualities and those qualities. And I remember that, raising my daughters. Love to be this kind of dad. And, but sometimes there's a value. It's just one of those bad days as a parent, just hanging in there. And he commends them. 
you're hanging in there. You've kept my command to endure patiently. Again, Jesus' command is not to become this huge church, but simply to endure and to hang on and to keep his word. I want to consider just four ways that we can be faithful. There are four ways that are extremely important to God. First of all, faithful to God Himself. Again, Church of Christ is not a title for us. Um, It's a description of who we are. We're a church that belongs to Christ. Our number one priority is being faithful to Him. That's why we sing about Him. We sing songs of praise. We pray to the Father through Him in Jesus' name. We pray. That means we're praying through Jesus. We have communion each first day of the week to remember just as early Christians did 2,000 years ago. Christ and His death for us. We're being faithful to what God wants us to be faithful to. And that's to Him. And to His Son and to His Spirit who lives within us. We're not called to be trendy. We're not called to change our beliefs or change our identity to build the numbers or to get the budget up or things like that. Our number one priority, as we find throughout the New Testament and especially with Philadelphia, is simply to be faithful to the Lord. Not to stay small, that's not what he's saying here, but to be faithful to the Lord even in that smallness. To be faithful to Him because the temptation is always, well, maybe if we did this differently, we could get more people in. Or maybe if we didn't talk about that Bible subject. Or maybe if we didn't put the word Christ in our description. We just were church. (laughs) People wouldn't be offended. Well, do you see what happens if we did do that? We need to take Christ out of the church. Because people get offended about Jesus. Well, we're not a church of Christ anymore. We're just simply a social group. And that's not what Jesus is looking for. And that's not what we're all about. So being faithful to God himself. It's the first way to be faithful. Be faithful to Him and to His Son. A second, be faithful to the written revelation we have. And that's the Bible that we believe is inspired by God. That means God breathed His words into His apostles and His prophets. And that this teaching is timeless. Even though there's certain things that are taught that have a first century relevance, Most of it has ongoing application today because people are never changing. Even though times and cultures change, people don't change. So when we're told, hey, you got to work on envy and jealousy or you have to work on pride, those are ongoing human problems. Just as the church in Corinth had a problem with pride, we could have that problem too, so we got to work on that. So deciding that we're not going to change this teaching. We might struggle with how to apply it. There's many practices in our culture that are becoming increasingly accepted. We're going to have to figure out what God says and then how to go forward speaking the truth in love. That we for sure can't abandon our teaching or say, well, let's just not look at that part of the Bible or let's hope no one reads this. We can't do anything like that and still be a church of Christ and be considered faithful. Because again, God is looking not for a large church, but a faithful church. So it involves being faithful to what He's revealed. A three, to be faithful. We have to be faithful to our calling. 
Paul said to the Ephesians, to live worthy of the calling to which you were called in Christ Jesus. We are always a work in progress. Uh, churches are not full of perfect people. <laughs> we know that already. But we are full of people that are always a work in progress, where we want to be different tomorrow than we are today. Uh, we're all aware of our own weaknesses. Jesus knows these weaknesses already. Satan knows our weaknesses. He knows our struggles, whether it be in the mind or our, our actions. And we're always called to work on those. Whether we're 13 or 80 or 90, we're always a work in progress. And the work on ourselves to grow, to take on our challenges, to be different is never-ending. So we gather at least once a week to assemble to strengthen us because sometimes we don't want to change and we're stubborn. We don't want to give up things we need to give up or we don't want to take on a new disposition towards our neighbor to love them as we ought. But we know we need to anyway. And we want to learn how to navigate an increasingly challenging world. So we come here to learn and, and every service is kind of like having an open heart surgery where we're putting, putting ourselves on the operating table. <laughs> Every time we walk in, we, we're kind of putting ourselves on the operating table and allowing the great physician who is Jesus to open our ribcage and go to our heart. He does that through the songs, through the Lord's Supper, hopefully through the teaching, through the association of seeing fellow people that are... We're all laying around on hospital beds when we're here. Realize that? We're sitting in these chairs, we're also laying in hospital <laughs> beds being operated on. But yet we're conscious of that. Every one of us right now are being operated on to be different. And then we get sewn back up, <laughs> and we go back out, and we come back in to be operated on. This is the most blessed time of our lives. And being faithful involves being here in these assemblies to be challenged to grow so we might be faithful to our calling. And fourth, be faithful to each other. Um, in small churches, attendance is very important. A lot of times I'll tell guests that arrive here that uh, you and your wife being here is like having to a big church 40 extra people. <laughs> because for small churches, when just two or three guests come in, it's a big deal. Because sometimes we feel that smallness when we, again, look around and we see more open seats than filled seats. We don't let that get to us, but it's always nice to have a lot of people. So when Jay brought in a lot of the Amish people, it was great to have them. Filled up two whole rows or more in the back. And it was encouraging just by them being here. And think about that every Sunday morning when you struggle to get ready. and The body doesn't always want to cooperate and it's slow getting started and getting yourself ready and dressed and things like that. And you rather do something else or maybe you just feel like I just rather stay home today. Just know when you make the decision to be here, someone is blessed by that decision. Even if you don't feel like you gave a lot that day because you were tired or you didn't feel well or maybe you didn't talk a whole lot, just you being here though, it did mean a lot to someone. Someone could see you there, and they could see that, hey, what's important to me is important to you too. So for little churches, that's very important, our attendance. And 
the writer of uh, the book of Hebrews said, do not forsake the assembling of the saints as a manner of some is. But he says, instead, encourage each other daily as you see the day approaching. So our attendance is encouraging. Just think about the encouragement you'll miss from Austin. If you're not here, he will encourage you right when you come in the door. Uh, Yeah, Yeah, that's a great point what Austin just said. How many of us have come here maybe not wanting to feel, be here, not feeling good, but we've always left feeling and saying, I was glad I came. Every single time. Because this is an encouraging group of people to be around despite our smallness. People come here, and it's not that we're putting on a face, but instead we're being here for each other. It's encouraging to talk with each other, even if we don't talk about deep things, or we're not here very long. It's reinvigorating, it's restorative, it's encouraging simply to be around these things and to sing and to pray and to receive teaching and just to associate. So we are called to be a faithful church, not a big church. And there's so many things that contribute towards faithfulness. The final point's this. Our challenge is to be a blessing where we are. Our challenge is to be a blessing where we are. Look at uh, verse 8 again of Revelation 3. He says, I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know you have a little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I want to look at the very beginning of this verse. First of all, he says, I know your deeds. He's basically saying, I know what you're doing already. He doesn't say, hey, what you're doing is wrong. He says, I, I know what you're doing. That means he's very aware of the church. And Christ is very aware of the church here at Lake Merced. And the second thing he says here is, I've set before you an open door. But he doesn't really tell them what that open door is. Uh, he doesn't tell them that, well, I have someone coming in from the outside that's going to give you 20 ways to grow in 10 weeks. He doesn't say something like that's coming and you've got to accept this new program or this trend or here's the latest thing. He simply tells them, I know your deeds. I know right where you're at. And he says, I've set before you an open door. And my best understanding of that is what you have already is the open door. You already have everything you need to be what I want you to be as a church. That's what I understand Jesus is telling them that. Not that he needs something or someone or some group coming in to shake them up. But they definitely need to seize the moment of what they already have. I know your deeds. See, I've placed before you an open door. Again, my understanding is we just need to use what we already have as our strengths and build upon those. And I listed here five things that I think are our strengths here at Lake Merced. Just as they hit me, I wrote them down, and, and I didn't change them. I think this is it. Um, 
things that we are already doing well that we need to keep on doing well and take even to a higher notch. Here's number one. Be welcoming to visitors and strangers. Be welcoming to visitors and strangers. Remember the first time I came here, I was warmly welcomed. And I think most of us could say that even though we've been here a long time, that we, we feel welcome here. When people visit a church, they never know what to expect. Many times people that are visiting churches are not necessarily on vacation and they want to go to church. A lot of times people that will visit a church are in some place of hurt or a place of sense need where they feel like they need to start going to church. They don't really know exactly what to do. They just want a different life than what they have right now and they know they've got to make some changes. And even though they might be fearful of church, maybe they had a bad experience as a child with church, or they've had some negative thing, they still know that a church should be a good place to go. So when people will find us and navigate coming here and coming into the back of our uh, facility here and come into those doors, that's a big deal because we know what they're going to expect or we know what they're going to experience, that is good things, but they don't know that yet. So the quicker they come through those doors and be met by people that are simply glad to see them, welcome them, the better that experience will be for them. We know each other real well, but we don't know them and they don't know us at all. So I think, first, we need to keep on being very welcoming. When we see someone come in, make sure we go and say hi. We don't have to try to get into their business, and no one wants that as a, as a visitor, like someone trying to, hey, where'd you come from? Why are you here? Where's your wife? And th things like that. No one wants someone trying to dig too deep. But they would like to be warmly welcomed and feel like the group here is simply glad they're here. They, they don't want to sit up front. <laughs> They don't want to be asked to participate in some way. And a lot of times they just want to be left alone to soak things in like a sponge. And we ought to allow them to do that. So our strength, we're already doing that. Let's just keep on doing that. Even if we have to break away from a conversation with each other when we see a guest, do that. Say, hey, just a minute, there's a guest here. Let me go meet the guest and we'll pick up where we were. We might do that during our meet and greet time. We might do that at the beginning or do it at the end. Make sure that guests and visitors are always welcome, even just to say hi and introduce yourself. And we're glad that you're here. Sometimes that's all they want to hear. We're glad that you're here. Not, will you be back? Can we expect you again? Or anything like that. We're glad that you're here. They'll be back. If they had a good experience, they'll be back. So that's exercising our strength, to take to a higher level what we're already doing. Number two, we need to be a safe place for the scared the hurting, and the different. We need to be a safe place for the scared, the hurting, and the different. As I said earlier, most people that come to church for the first time are not coming because they're really happy about their life. and They want to make it happier. They're coming because they're hurting. And they don't know where to turn. Maybe their family doesn't want to talk to them or their friends have forsaken them. Maybe they've caused their own problems. Who knows? But they want to be healed in some way, but they're not really sure what healing looks like, and they just at least want to find a group of people that are glad to be around them, that want to talk to them. 
So it's, our assemblies need to be a safe place for that. And that goes to our welcoming them, like we said, but getting to know them and just to like them as a person, not to see them as a potential member yet or someone like that. And I don't think anyone here is doing that. But, but continue to be the idea of just, hey, we're, thank you for being here. And letting, if they want to sit next to someone, let them do that. If we sense that they might want someone to sit close to them, do that. But if they just want to be by themselves, it just needs to be a safe place for them. We're told that all the time as teachers at school. Our classrooms need to be a safe place. We're not being talking about being safe from some outside shooter. That's at least the safety we're trying to maintain. But sometimes safe emotionally. As teachers, we can't be harsh. We can't, hey, you got to sit here nah, 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 and yell it. Our students need to feel safe around us, that they can trust us. We're supposed to be trusted adults at school. So churches especially need to be a safe place for the scared, the hurting, and the different. Sometimes people are just different. But different looks very different. <laughs> Depending, some people that are different don't feel different. But sometimes they feel very different. And they don't want to come to church to be judged on their appearance or the way they talk or things like that. They just want to find a, a group of people that will accept them for who they are. That doesn't mean accept everything they're doing is okay. But someone will just love them as a person just as Jesus loved people. And he associated with everyone. And people were comfortable being with Jesus. They invited him to their get-togethers. He was willing to go to their get-togethers because they were all comfortable with each other. So us being that kind of church, we're already that, I believe. That is our little strength, a little group. Let's just keep building upon that to make sure that people are glad that they're here when they are here. The third way to be a blessing right where we're at is to be generous with the truly needy. Be generous with the truly needy. Um, we have good financial resources here. Through years of generosity, through present generosity, through funds that we receive, through renting out the facilities we're not using, we're in a position to help genuinely needy people. Now, sometimes it's a challenge, and the trustees have to do this sometimes. Sometimes we have to do it individually. Figure out who's genuinely needy, or we have to prioritize the needy because the needs are all over the place. But that is one thing we can do. Some small churches, they're barely making it on what they collect each week. That's not our situation. We have pretty good resources. Not unlimited to do everything with whoever asks for anything. That's not it. That wouldn't be responsible anyway. But we can help, and we do that a lot. And when we have our congregational meetings, you get to hear about things either the trustees have decided or some things we bring to the church right up front because we need to. There's a lot of generosity that was expressed with Ukraine, that was expressed with a city impact, that's been expressed with a school. At different times, the church has always been generous. People have been generous individually, and no one's even known about it. That is one thing we can do, be generous with the truly needy. So if you know of people that are truly needy in situations to help, let other church members know. Because that's one thing we can do. Fourth, there's five here, here's a fourth. Be open to biblical new things. We don't want to be open just to trendy things. 
We for sure don't want to be open to changing the Word of God to try to fit in what culture wants to do. But there may be different ways of doing things from time to time. Uh, restructuring our assemblies a little bit or spending more time with this or less time with that. Just doing things different just to see how this might work for us. Not because other churches are doing it. If other churches are and it's a good thing, that's good. The things that might be best for the church here at Lake Merced, where Nathaniel might have an idea, hey, let's try this differently, or Jay might have an idea, or Ricardo might have an idea, Eileen might have an idea, where we're always exploring what's something new and different that we could do. Being open to biblical new things. And number five, be a source of encouragement to those who are here only a little while. Be a source of encouragement to those who are here only a little while. I said at the beginning of this lesson that we are a very transitory church. There's people that will come here for business, extended contractual business, and then they'll, they'll move on. Life will take them another place. As I mentioned, matter of months, we're going to lose Marath. Maybe he and I were talking on the 4th. He... He may get his orders to go on in his military career to, uh, as late as this month, maybe in August, September. We're going to hate to see him go. Like Fortune Elizabeth, we're going to hate to see him go. We barely got to know him when they're moving on, but that has been so typical of time here. Michael being here 10 years, <laughs> that's, that's almost unusual for someone to come to be that long. And I remember thinking early on, just in my own time being here, what, what is a small church that we can do to really be a blessing right where we're at? We can help people that are here for just a few weeks or a few months or a few years be stronger when they leave than when they arrived. That is one thing we can do people that are maybe struggling in their faith and they just need to find a place where they can hear the Word of God taught, where they can worship Him in spirit and truth. And then even if they get called in their job to go somewhere else, if they can be stronger when they leave than when they arrive, we are using our open door. We're using our little strength to bless others. Even if they were strong already, we hope that when someone leaves and moves on, they can always say, I know if I ever went back to San Francisco, I know what group I can be with again. I know what group loves me. Michael, with his leaving to go to Las Vegas, he knows that he can come back here. We're still trying to keep him connected in all the ways that we can. By himself there in Las Vegas, but still knowing he has a church body here that cares about and through... Nathaniel and Ross work and everybody else is working on the live streaming. People that have left can still connect to the church here. They can still tune into the services. What a blessing that we learned during COVID and how to do this streaming. Or others learn how to do it. I'm just blessed by knowing it can be done. So people can still be blessed even though they've moved on. We have an open door before us here in Lake Merced. Let's never bemoan our smallness. But always look at it as a great opportunity. And when you get discouraged, drive up on the hill like I did, and you'll feel different. Seize the moment. 
Use whatever gift you have here. Everyone I'm looking at right now is giving in some way to this church. We don't have any dead weight here. We can't afford to have it. Everyone here is doing something. Mary Gail, she's writing every week a summary of our sermons, putting it online, and that's being used in different ways. I can go through every single person here to talk about the way that you are blessing this church. Keep on doing that and build upon that. Seize needs as you see them, and we will be a blessing right where we're at, and we'll, we'll live out the same calling that the church in Philadelphia had. We have a little strength that we have kept his word, we have not denied his name, and before us is set an open door. God keeps working with our smallness. He's going to keep doing that. He saved only eight. He doesn't care about numbers. But if we grow and we're blessed with numbers along with that faith, what a blessing that will be. Let's just keep on being who we are. Expect to grow, become stronger ourselves, and never give up on each other. We're not going to close the doors. We're not going to give up. I read about a church that did that recently, that kind of similar art, and it turned out to be a disaster. When they thought they just need to close the doors because they were too small. May God bless us, though. We need the blessing of Jesus to be faithful. May he find us faithful today. Just a minute. Austin's going to lead us in a song. And may we be encouraged, strengthened in whatever direction we need to go in our lives, be faithful to the Lord. May we take that step of obedience. Because collectively we are the church, but we're also individual members that depend on our own individual strength as we are bonded collectively. May God bless us as we grow. Let's stand and sing this song.